Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem. Brexit means Brexit. My administration has accomplished more than almost any administration in the history of our country. Hello and welcome to Mid-Atlantic, the show where we look at the news and the views from one side of the Atlantic from the perspective of the other. I'm Royfield Brown, who is in a hot, sticky, sweaty London. Temperatures in the UK are, are on average 37 degrees Celsius today, and that's on average. So in old money, that puts us at 98 degrees Fahrenheit. It is hot, hot, hot. Today, I'm joined by Paul Dudridge, a conservative voice on Talk TV, the BBC and ITV. He's a writer and director who is also the host of the Politics People's podcast. Hello, Paul. How are you today? Good morning, Royfield. Good to talk to you again. Always a pleasure, never a chore. This Conservative Party race. We're going to going to dig deep into that today. And we have you, sir, as our voice and avatar and sage of understanding the runners and the riders when it comes to the Conservative Party leadership election. Good afternoon. I'm going to announce the results of the second ballot in the leadership election. As yesterday, I'll read the name of the candidate and the number of votes in each case. First of all, 356 votes were cast. There were possible 358. The numbers are as follows. Badenoch, 49. Braverman, 27. Mordant, 83. Sunak, 101. Truss, 64. Tugendat, 32. Therefore, under the rules, Zoella Braverman is eliminated from the contest and the others are able to go forward to a further ballot or not. Rishi Sunak has been topping the first few rounds of, of voting by MPs. Peddy Mordant is the bookmaker's favourite and she has a sizable lead in a kind of party members' polls. Kemi Badenoch, however, has surged to the top of Conservative home in, in a member's survey. What does this tell us about the runners and riders that we have? Give us your opening salvo, Paul Dudridge. 
What does it tell us? It tells us that the Conservative Party, I think, is the most diverse still in actually promoting minority groups into the fray of actual power. I think it tells us that there's a bit of a minor coup going in the UK at the moment. It's uh, I'm very, very suspicious. Uh, uh, Paul, the, the... Uh, uh, let me stop you there, because otherwise I'm, I'm going to lose track of the two things which you said. There's no mm. ways about it. This field of candidates on paper, visually, whatever, looks incredibly startlingly diverse. Out of the first, well, I think 10 people who threw the hat into the ring, five were women and five were ethnic minorities. Why is it that the Tories have been able to put up such a diverse slate of candidates? Just, you know, where conservatism still exists, it's it's about the economy and policies, which are sex and colour blind. Other so much politics these days in the rest of the UK and the rest of the world has become based on identity. We take it for granted now. The Tories are, you know, they've they've succumbed to that identity politics in some ways, but still are the best mainstream holdout against that being a determinant of leadership. And that's why you end up with lineup that the Labour Party can still never mount. I thought you were going to say this is all down to David Cameron and his push in 2010 to have more ethnically diverse uh, respective members for, for Parliament. And it, well, David, it's worked. David, David Cameron had nothing to do with the first female prime minister in the UK. True, I mean, but, that... but, but are women a minority? So if we, if we, move, we move away from that, you know, I, I'm, I'm giving the Tory party props here. I'm not taking away sure. fundamentally from what you're saying. But we had, what, four people of South East Asian origin, one African Brit. It does look impressive, at least on the face of it. Yeah, yeah. And again, I would argue that they probably don't see the diversity that perhaps social scholars will ascribe to it. I think that they probably just see you're good on this economic policy, you're bad on this economic policy. I do think that there is something about the conservatism that is frustratingly for the left, actually very, very accepting. I mean, it's the only colour that counts is green. And I think that's liberating for any any of the... Uh, that's why so many people have been raised out of poverty by capitalism over the uh, centuries. But I think you put your finger on it there, though. They're, they're all somewhat moneyed. Some are much richer than others. Richie Soon is one of the richest men in the country. Forget just Parliament. Naheem Zahawi, who's now dropped out, is one of the richest men in, in Parliament. It's still helps you, doesn't it, to get up that Tory greasy pole if at least you come from somewhat of a feathered background. Like Jeremy Corbyn. We're talking about the Conservatives here. No, I'm saying, but why would you differentiate? I mean, that's the thing, you know, the, 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 there's plenty of moneyed people in politics on both sides, on every side of the House in the UK. You know, Kemi Badenoch was flipping burgers in McDonald's 20 years ago. But, but, but her father's a professor. But anyway, listen, I'm not taken away from the fact that the optics, at the very least, the optics of this tell us a very different story than any other political race in British history. There is no doubt about that. And and for that, we we have to acknowledge that. Let's start to look at the runners and and the riders. But, but, But first off, before we do that, very quickly, today, Britain is sweltering under temperatures of, as I said before, 
37.5 degrees C and that's on average. It is at absolutely hot. So for our American friends, that's just under 100 degrees. None of the candidates seem to be talking about climate change. None of them seem to be talking about environment. Well, again, I think that that has been... They, well, they have been, to be fair. There's only one of them, Kemi, I believe, who is sort of sceptical, outwardly sceptical. And Liz Truss is talking about suspending the green levy on fuel until the inflation crisis is overcome. So that it is being discussed, but yes, it's not being, I can't say it's being discussed in an alarmist way, because again, this is that particular view of climate is one that's more held by the left than the right. Right. First, let's listen to some of the runners and riders in debate. My question is for Rishi. Myself and other ministers raised the issue of COVID loan fraud and you dismissed us and it has cost taxpayers £17 billion. Why didn't you take us seriously? One of your former ministers resigned on this issue. He is supporting my campaign, not yours. Why is that? Yeah, well, Theo's entitled to his own view, but actually I'm, I'm proud of my record. Rishi, you have raised taxes to the highest level in 70 years. That is not going to drive economic growth. I'd love to stand here. I'd love to stand here and say, look, I'll cut this tax, that tax, and another tax, and it will all be okay. And you know what? This something for nothing economics isn't conservative, uh, it's uh, socialism. Under your plans, we are predicted to have a recession. We are in an unprecedented situation. We are gonna to have to do more for people to help with the cost of living. Where we really need to concentrate is on growth. And under your tax trajectory, that is going to be much harder. You're generally proposing that we, we borrow to fund our day-to-day -day spending, okay. putting those bills on a credit card. Literally, oh. Jeremy Corbyn didn't think that that was the right okay. approach. I'm going to go through the runners and riders, and why don't you just give me one or two lines about each, where you see their position in the Conservative Party, et cetera, et cetera. So, so we heard there the ex-Chancellor of the Exchequer, Rishi Soon. Tell us about Rishi. What is he beholden to in the Conservative Party, and what is he standing for in this election, other than just to be the next prime minister. What wing? I'd say that he is, I mean, he was a Brexiteer, and he's fiscally conservative. I think like all of them, socially liberal now, but fiscally conservative. And I think that he is the nearest we have to Tony Blair. As far as his position in the party, I think he ultimately sees himself as a moderate. Who else is there? Kemi. Kemi is a true conservative. What, what, what does that mean in 2022? Because I, I think what, what we used to call a true conservative is now would be called a one nation Tory. And I, I don't see her as that. So you tell me what is a true conservative in 2022. No, I don't think the one nation Tories were the true conservatives. I think the true conservatives would be, I think Ted Heath was one nation Tory. I think the true conservatives kind of rallied again with Thatcher. I think that she is both socially and fiscally conservative. I mean, she came out of, she came, I think her most re recent job before the one she just quit from, she was in the treasury, wasn't she? So she was part of Rishi's team in the Treasury. So now I think she is socially and fiscally conservative. I mean, she's the one that's calling Penny Mordaunt out on the trans debate. You know, she's very, she's sure. very critical. She's, she's, she's extremely right wing and, and wants to play up to culture wars. And for me, I think it's been 
somewhat noted that conservative politicians are actually saying we, we need to tamp this down. There was a poll, I forget who did it, whether it was YouGov, and said that when it comes to gender issues, as far as uh, the British public are concerned, there's only 3% of them are interested in them and 67% are interested in cost of living issues. So she seems somewhat out of touch, but she plays to the base. Tell us about Penny Morden. Well, Penny Morden, she's probably the most socially progressive. I mean, she's being called woke. Yeah. She's obviously former former Navy. What would you call a sailor? I guess. I mean, she was in the she was in the Royal Navy, and she is she's getting a lot of brickbats from people in the Conservative Party who have worked with her. I think she was at the Greater London Assembly for a while, but on the mayor's office, and she was she was basically called thick and lazy by a lot of the people in the Conservative Party. She has, weirdly, she jumped ahead. She sort of was the most popular choice among Conservative voters when they were, sorry, Conservative Party members when they were polled. And I have to say that's the bit that surprised me because it might play to your point, Royfield, that uh, people aren't as interested in the trans debate. But she very much nailed her colours to the mast in Parliament and said trans women are women. And I would have expected, and this is where, you know, everything is bizarro world to me, I would have expected that that would have been the end of her campaign. She's she's lost a lot of heat in the last couple of days, but she was leading the, she was leading the camp, she was leading the, the anti-Rish campaign, and she was actually ahead of Rishi, I think, amongst Conservative voters. Both she and Liz Truss were seen to be able to beat Rishi. But anyway, the point is, yeah, she's seen as the most woke, the most, the most receptive to the trans debate, the least a gender critical candidate. And obviously when you use the word woke, you use it as a pejorative, I take it. Very much, very oh. much. Just, just making sure we know where we are. All right, so Liz Truss, who is she? What's she standing for? Has she got anything going about her other than just naked ambition? I like naked ambition. That's the thing. I think she does. I think she's a very interesting... I think she's going to win. She's certainly my choice. I, my, my head is with Liz trust my heart is with Kemi Badenoch. I think Kemi Badenoch now is probably going to have to, because there's, I mean, they're going to decide in the next couple of hours, aren't they? I mean, this is the third round today. So I think that Liz Truss, I think, is the most realistic candidate. I think that she is, she's been a good foreign secretary. I think she's done the deals, but she was anti-Brexit. And it's a very interesting one that we are removing a Brexit supporting prime minister to once again replace them with a remain campaigner but that remain campaigner i think has had some kind of conversion because she's really out of everybody in the in the government she's been the most i think the most on message for brexit and what it could potentially what it could potentially deliver and so i think she's a, a really interesting candidate i think her personal history, she was brought up by left-wing activists or left-wing political supporters. And I think she was like in the STP for a while and then eventually ended up as a conservative. And I think that came out in the debate. But yeah, she's current foreign secretary and she campaigned for Remain. But I think she's had something of a conversion, but she's actually doing the job. And she's, again, prepared to cut the green levy, you know, for the sake of the economy or for the sake of the the consumer and the taxpayer at home. And, and I, I think she's the most likely candidate to be able to win. And I'd like to see her as prime minister and Kemi in as education secretary. So you see her potentially as some kind of unifying candidate? 
I, I think she could be. Yeah, I, th- I really think she could be. She did. She did well the other night. She did well. I think Sky have, have decided not to go ahead with their. Yeah, because her and Sunak have said they won't go in for the next round of. Um... Yeah, but let, let's just end up with Tom Tugendhat. Tell us about Tom, another military man. All you have to say about Tom Tugner is he was in the army. Look, he just every everything he says is like, well, of course, when I was in the army, when I was in the army, and it's like, yeah, okay, we get it, you're in the army. It's like he's like an old guy at a bus stop. Tom, he's he cannot happen. He is this year's Rory, whatever that guy's name was, Rory Stewart. Was he he's this guy. He's this year's Rory. The point is, he campaigned against Brexit. And he then called for a second referendum. So there is, he's got no chance. He's got absolutely no chance. He is the, he is the, the sort of token liberal uh, in the, in the pack. And so, yeah, he's got absolutely no chance. But yes, he, he was, he's just always wrong, basically, is Tom Tugana. And like I said, he was wrong on Brexit and he was wrong on the second referendum. And that's fine if he was in the uh, Lib Dems, but he's a conservative. So, is, is, is he wrong or is he just in the smaller wing of the Conservative Party? You know, they're fundamentally, it seems to me that you have the one nation Tories who are the more moderate. And then you have the English nationalist wing is the best way that I can really, really describe it. Incredibly strident, who, who believe in divisive politics isn't it just the fact that he's from that smaller wing of the party and and if we look at let's say the the tory party since the days of thatcher there has been this internecine fight between the two wings of which it's it's apparent that it's the english nationalist wing that always seems to be winning out well, yes and no. I mean, again, I know, it, I, I think that internecine battle has been happening to the British establishment. I mean, I think, again, you know, the, the biggest anti, the biggest EU skeptics were Tony Benn and Jeremy Corbyn, etc. So I think that's just part of the establishment of politics in the UK. It's always been a divide topic. He's just in the wrong party currently for that particular outlook. I mean, look, I'd forgiven him the, I'm with you up to a point. I think everybody was entitled to either be leave or remain. I think him being a conservative calling for a second referendum, I think does actually does end his conservative credentials because it literally was. I, I thought you conservatives always said that you're a broad church and he hasn't called for a second referendum since the general election of 2019. This was, this is prior. <laughs> no, that's true. That's that's true. That's true. But if he was opposing his own party's 80 majority, that would have been complete madness. No, it is a broad church, but he is somewhere in the car park near the gift shop. So, okay. So with with this lot, with this lot of runners and riders, oh, first off, Tom Tujanat has basically said today that he knows he's going to come last. He's not picking up any extra voters. People who have voted for him are almost definitely going to go for Rishi Sunak or or possibly even Liz Truss, he reckons. Mm. Um, But he he said this very clearly today in a Conservative Party hustings. He says, I know I'm going to come last, which means that his vote is actually going to crater if he's actually saying that beforehand. So yeah. we are looking at the top. The final four. The final four has been Rishi Sunak, Penny Morden, Liz Truss, and Kemi Badenoch. And again, three one, uh, two people of colour, you know, wow, uh, Britain in 2020. Are there any new well, ideas? Britain in 2020. You haven't got that problem in the Labour Party, but no, go on. You know what? We absolutely haven't. And and I think there's going to be a lot of soul searching which goes on mm-hmm. um, in, the conser- in, the, in the Labour Party off the back of this. The other thing to be said, 
about, let's say, Suella Braverman, Kemi Badnock, Rishi Soon, Nadim Zahawi, they all stand for seats which are homogeneously white. They're not even standing in, in multiracial seats. They're not. The Labour Party will have to do a lot of soul searching when it comes to the fact that the Conservative Party have had two female leaders and possibly are going to have the first non-white prime minister. There's, there's no question of that. Do we have, you know, they, though they are not diverse when it comes really to their backgrounds and when it comes to political thought, there is another school of thought which basically says to be brown or black in the Conservative Party, you have to be more conservative than your average conservative. And that is most definitely true with Suella Braverman and Kemi Badenoch. You know, they are not moderates at all. So, they, so it somewhat gives them cover. However, I'm not going to take away from the Conservative Party when it comes to the optics of the runners and riders. Do any of them actually have any new ideas for how they would govern and lead Britain? No, I don't think they do, really. I think, again, they're... Uh... There, there are there are only there are only finite variables and switches that anybody can actually flick. So no, I don't think there are any new ideas other than perhaps just actually finally executing what was voted for in 2016. But no, I, I don't think so. I, I I couldn't extend that kind of that praise to them. I think it is we are all just rearranging deck chairs, possibly on the Titanic. But just rearranging deck chairs, I think, at well, the moment. Why? Why are we possibly on the Titanic? Um, the the English nationalist wing of the Conservative Party, and I will take your point. The old socialists from the nineteen seventies, as well, have basically got their wish, which is that we exited for, for, from the EU. Surely we are now global Britain, according to Brexiteers. So why are we on the Titanic? Why is this country going to sink? Well, the, the because I, I don't like this Northern Ireland thing is the point, and that's the that's where we are potentially holed beneath the waterline. The, the the way we have handed over a region of the United Kingdom to the EU, to me, feels like I, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I'm very conscious of the World Economic Forum and the I'm very anti-globalist, and it just feels like a you know a a globalist last-minute trick. To, to basically undermine Brexit. So, yeah, I, for me, it's the Northern Ireland question as a symbol of the fact that, you know, you can that check we've out... we sovereignty and Brexit. Yeah. It was all about gaining sovereignty, but we've given it up for 1.5 million British citizens. Uh, mm -hmm. What does this slate of politicians who, for the most part, the average British voter doesn't know, what does it say about Conservative policies? And, and I'm not putting a value judgment in, the, in this at all. I didn't know really a Peddy Mordant before last week. I knew the name. I wouldn't have recognised her. Kemi Badenoch, yes, in circles of, let's say, a diversity politics, she was known as somewhat reviled. But yet, for the most part, these are not exactly household names, are they? What did it say about this slate of potential leaders if the average person in the street didn't even know them 10 days ago? Well, it says, to be honest, that well, actually, if you look at it historically, Boris was the the unicorn in this equation, really, because, you know, he was one of the few that really cultivated a public persona, a public image before even entering the house. I think it's pretty par for the course. I think if you think of where did people like Blair come from, you know, he was just John Smith's one of his assistants with Gordon Brown. I think it's pretty normal that you you get 
these anonymous creatures being thrust at these kind of times into the uh, public consciousness. I think that's more, I, I think this is more the rule than the exception, to be honest. I think that this is how it, you know, it was ever thus. Mm. Tom Tugendhat, who said that he, you know, he knows he's going to come last today. Who will, so, or invariably. <laughs> that's, the kind of, that's the kind of talk you want from a soldier, isn't it? Go on. <laughs> He's basically says he's deplored the infighting and the sniping, the blue on blue attacks and smears. And that is the reason why Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss have, have dropped out of the next debate, which Sky won't, won't be showing. Do you think the, these debates actually were divisive? Do you think they have actually left the Conservative Party with some lasting damage? No. No, I don't. I don't, I don't think any of this stuff makes any difference in the great arc of history. I mean... You know, it, look, it, it, some people are in the business of writing. This, look, politics is sport and sport is showbiz and showbiz is politics. I mean, you know, everything is, you know, why do we have an FA Cup every year? I'm not a big football. I don't know anything about football. But you have to have these these contests and bloodlettings every year and everything seems like it's the end of the world. It's the Game of Thrones final episode, etc. No, nobody's nobody's harmed. They've got brand recognition. You've got as long as you've got one MP in Parliament, you you receive funding, so you can always like you can always stay in the fray. So I, I think that stuff, the 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 romance about a political party being kind of in favour or or dead in the water, I think is nonsense. I think that you can take any of the political parties and have them in government. Look what again, look what Farage did. Farage is you know, something of a genius, I think, because, you know, he, he, he created political movements from scratch without any of the the help of, you know, parliamentary funding, EU parliamentary funding. So, no, it's never over. And I think that there's, you know, the king is dead, long live the king. Serving in government is not easy. It requires taking difficult decisions. Tom has never done that. It's very easy for him to criticise what we've been doing. But we have been out there on the front line making the case for Sorry, why, Kimi, I, I have why been on we the have front done line. the right I've thing. been on the front line not in Afghanistan to, not in government, and Iraq. Not in government. And I've been on the front line of the argument against Putin and against China. I've yeah, changed government policy on this. But you haven't taken any decisions. It's easy decisions. to talk. Talking is easy. All attempts to paint me as an out-of-touch individual will fail. I'm the only person on this stage Kenny, just that has won and I'm fought just telling a Labour seat. I'm telling you. My finish, constituents please. do not elect people who are out of touch. Well, I think there's a couple of things that we need in order to win a next general election. One of them is me as the Prime Minister, because the polling shows that I'm the only one that can beat Keir Starmer and take the fight to Labour. I beat him all over the country. That's simply not true. I'm polling best in Scotland with young people, red wall, blue wall seats. That's why I am subject to a a great deal of focus from your supporters. I respect you deeply, but but that's not... The second thing... It's interesting that I asked you if there were any new ideas that are coming out of this bunch of leaders. And you, I think, quite honestly said said no. I know Brexit is still, is very clearly in the rearview mirror of British politics. The Conservative Party would not have had its thumping majority if it hadn't have won many staunch Labour seats who also wanted Brexit to at least be put behind them. Whether they wanted to be done or not, they just wanted to forget about it. When... Brexit has completely left the rearview mirror of British politics. What is the Conservative Party going to stand for? 
considering they would have been in power then for some 15 years. The Conservative Party has been an establishment party for years. I'm, I'm, I'm a Conservative more than I am. I'm a Conservative with a small C more than I am a Conservative with a big C. They were Their hand was forced by Farage into being a Brexit party, and I wanted Brexit more than I want conservatism. I think it's highly likely if we can succeed in sorting out this Northern Ireland protocol, then we will end up with a Labour party, and I'm down with that. Conservative party. The Queen Mother is quoted as saying, what this country needs is a very, very conservative government being opposed by a very, very left-wing opposition. And that's always a good place to be, I think, for the UK. I don't mind if Labour get in, by the way. I just want to bring up the drawbridge, get the borders back, turn it back into the United Kingdom, and then have Tories being the party of low taxation and Labour being the party of higher taxation. That, that's, that's really it. I've got no problem if Labour get in next time, and I think they probably will and possibly deserve to if we don't sort out Northern Ireland. Let's look at potentially the uh, the path to victory for the prospective runners and riders. So Rishi Sunak, it seems that he's going to get the majority of, or at least the largest share of Conservative MP votes. Yeah. Or at least, you know, even if he doesn't, he's going to be in that top two. He has a solid base. He's seen as competent. Yeah. And as I said earlier on, He's very much playing down the jazz hands here. He's saying, I'm serious. There are going to be tax cuts. We need to roll up our sleeves, etc., etc." Then we have Penny Morden, Liz Truss, Kemi Badenoch. Tell us, after round four, because we know that Tom Tujanat is almost certainly going to drop out today, getting the lowest amount, amount of votes. How do you see us arriving at the top? I think that it is, some of this is just pure bias, but I think the real competition, the real contest now is between and trust. And I think it's the sequence in which people drop out is probably going to be significant. So as you say, Tugendhat is probably going to, his votes will probably go between, weirdly, Truss and Sunak. So it doesn't make that much difference. It's how long does Penny Morden hang in there? I, I think that I'm hoping that a bit of horse trading ambition kicks in and they're all just lobbying for positions in cabinet for the next PM. So, sorry, I'm just waffling. How do I see it playing out? I see it playing out that it will be Sunak against Truss, ultimately. I think that's where we're heading. And I think that Badenoch will see that she has maxed out the level of support she can actually get. She definitely, she's got Michael Gove supporting her, which is always a good indicator of parliamentary, the parliamentary Machiavellian arts. So she's always been a strong contender, but I think she might max out now and her supporters being urged to support Liz Truss because her supporters aren't going to support Rishi Sunak, I don't believe. So I think for that reason, I see now Tuganat has basically surrendered. I think that the next inevitable is Morden and Badenoch basically, in effect, being treated like lame ducks and their votes then being passed on to trust. I, I think, interestingly, and you're right, I think Rishi Sunak has the largest support in the Commons, but I think he's maxed that out pretty much. I don't think he's going to get many more votes. This is all about coming around the uh, final bend and suddenly seeing how much support you've you've got and i think that truss is the obvious 
anti-Rishi campaigner. And the only the only blot in on her copybook is that she supported Remain. But I think she has. I, I think she's. I, I'm a huge Brexiteer, and she's Brexit enough for me. Theory that I heard today was that the, one of the reasons why Gove has got behind Badenoch is actually to give cover for the fact that when she invariably then drops out, people can then actually go to Sunak. Yeah, uh, this is this is a, a, a plan orchestrated actually by by Gove. How important is Boris Johnson in terms of people who still support him? in terms of trying to ruin this for, for Sunak, how important is that uh, smear campaign being, do you think? I think it's been really important. I think that this is why, look at, the, look at the support he's getting in the Commons and the fact that he gets beaten out by Mordaunt and Truss among Conservative Party members. Conservative Party members are not happy with Rishi Sunak. He doesn't feel like one of theirs. He feels like, I'm, I'm extrapolating out to the World Economic Forum, but he feels like a World Economic Forum shell that's been airlifted in to the into the the top of UK politics. He doesn't feel like one of theirs, and it's interesting that disparity. That people were genuinely shocked. I think that Sunak could be so far ahead with MPs, but beaten by both scenarios by Mordaunt and Truss, and that that actually gave Mordaunt even more fuel to continue. But I mean, I think she's performed badly in the debate, so I think that that's kind of a moot point now. But but yeah, I, th- I think that the the way Boris has been defenestrated, 80 majority, I mean, Thatcher only had a 49 majority in 1979. I mean, there is something very, very rum about this particular habit that the Conservative Party keep this scratch that they keep this itch that they keep scratching. They did it. Oh, you, you can't you can't equate equate the two. As much as I might revile Margaret Thatcher, she was a woman not only of real political conviction, but but ethically she was pretty sound. And also she was in power for what eleven years. You know, Boris Johnson. What you had every three weeks seem to be another scandal, you know. So uh, as much as, as I say, I'm not a fan of Thatcher, but clear political conviction, this woman led the Conservative Party to three election victories and ethically pretty much squeaky clean. No, no, but again, you see, I think, I think, you know, no, she won both 49 majority in 1979. If it hadn't been for the Falklands, she was definitely like so far behind in the polls that she'd have lost. So I don't, I don't, I don't think uh, the Thatcher we talk about, you've got to remember income tax was still at 83% until 1987. So the Thatcher we talk about really became a creature after 1983 election. At the 1979 election, she, she won 49 seats, uh, 49 majority, and was, like I said, it was the Falklands that saved her. And so I, I'm, I'm not, we, I'm misty eyed about Thatcher, don't get me wrong. But realistically, that, that, and again, don't get me wrong either, they didn't vote for Boris, they voted for Brexit. But, there has been so much dodgy dealings over the last few years. You know, that 2019, the necessity of that emphatic victory was because the political class completely ignored the the voters. And that, that really sticks in the craw with people. And so to see it happening again, I mean, 
but there's a brilliant quote that I heard going around that Boris Johnson, ba- or the, the Boris Johnson basically killed off three prime ministers, David Cameron, Theresa May and Boris Johnson. And, and it's true. It's, 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 it's we, I'm not a big Boris fan. This is the thing. I mean, I think he's, you know, socially liberal and all that, but he was, he, he was prepared to be a, he was prepared to use his opportunism to get through Brexit. So I'm a Brexit fan and I'm worried about it's, uh, I'm worried about it being diluted by the bureaucrats and Lord Frost leaving at Christmas, I think was the, was the the first sign of something that more than Dominic Cummings, it was Lord Frost because Lord Frost really was advocating true conservatism and true Brexit. And the fact that you could see that Boris didn't have the capacity or the power or perhaps the will to carry that through was part of his undoing. You know, the cake was just convenient. But anyway, I'm just waffling. But yes, I think let's, that... Um, let's look at... Let's, let's very quickly... Let's look at the the two fundamental constituencies that the MPs need to win over. There's the parliamentary party, then there's the members. Uh, It seems to me that we have almost like a reverse of the American political process where somebody is running to be a, a senator or a congressman and first they talk to the members. So that is the base. So they are the track left or track right then in the election, they kind of track a little bit more towards the centre. Whereas this seems to be the opposite. You have the parliamentary party deciding who's going to be, who's going to win the beauty contest there. And then you have the Conservative members who, yes, they are also British voters, but there's only like 140,000 of them. It's hardly the biggest constituency uh, of people in the land. And they are blue rinse, diehard Shire Tories for, for the most part. Describe that kind of that, that conflict for us and, and, and how that might play out in the final. If you're listening to this at home, why don't you go on to an app store of choice, whether it's Google Play or whether it's the Apple iStore and download the Clubhouse app. That means that, that then you can be part of the live recording of one of these podcasts. This is, a, of course, a podcast called Mid-Atlantic, which you're listening to, but you can be in the audience. If you'd like to pose a question on a future topic, download Clubhouse, follow Mid-Atlantic or Global Telegraph, and then you'll be alerted when we... It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. 
Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Go live with these rooms. So first up on stage, we have Piotr Curzon, good friend of the podcast. Piotr, what is your point, sir? Well, I mean, Royfield, you know, as always on Mid-Atlantic, we've covered many different things and then a great... Um, sort of contrasting conversation between the two of you. So appreciate that and the listeners as well on the podcast. Um, you know, there's, there's so many things to, to cover, but I, I would just say at the time of recording, you know, the, the government is pushing back a no confidence vote in parliament. We're about to hear the latest round. I think it's pretty clear Tom will be kicked out. I mean, his, his announcement of a 3% desire for the defence budget was... I mean, I was surprised he announced it on Twitter just as shamelessly as he did, but it's also a little bit, little bit short-sighted. Was likely to have alienated some of the the constituents or Tory members, I think, because whilst you know many Tory members like a slightly higher defence budget, supporting of tried and that sort of thing, given the current circumstances, they wouldn't have. I don't think they agree with that. But it's his background in military combatants so it's sort of too un- understandable. As I say, we've covered so many different things. I I probably would just focus on the fact that. You know, in the 12 years that the Tories have been in government, albeit there's been, been many exogenous factors which have inhibited them from perhaps doing what they wanted to do, including, you know, COVID, the annexation of Crimea, many things that have rocked sort of the UK economy. But, um, you know, inflation has outpaced wages for the for much of that time. And there was an article from the IMF the other day that was stating whilst the American and French economies, you're going to see an average wage growth of about 0.6% this year, 0.5% for the French. The British, when you take into account, again, inflation at their current rate of increase, uh, you're going to see a reduction in the overall, shall we say, how far your, your income can go by minus 0.67. So, you know, the UK is the most like noticeably flagging, like struggling economy of the G7. A lot of what the Tories like to do is point, for example, to the recovery that we saw in 2021 after the COVID pandemic of 2020, at least the first year. But you have to put into context that the UK's economy was the biggest contracting. And obviously with Brexit on top of that, and now the food insecurity and energy crisis, you know, the UK economy is is really struggling. And I think it's, I don't particularly like any of the candidates, but far more than the others. Anything better than Boris Johnson, though, frankly, given his despicable lack of transparency and honesty. But, you know, I have to, I like lower taxes. I I don't think anybody wouldn't. But I, you know, I do agree with Dunak in the sense that now is not the time to be trying to undertake conventional fiscal policy when we've had and and what i love is sort of when trusts or the others are saying well you know you just want to take us to these exceptionally you know difficult times with uh, with high taxation it's like well relative to the context we are in it may well be that we don't follow conventional taxation and fiscal policy guys we've had the worst pandemic in 100 years we've got a war continuing we've got a securitized europe sometimes you might have to you know undertake policies that go against slightly the overarching ideologies that you wish to prevail or push as the as the conservative party 
Um, so I respect Sunak in that way, to be honest, to being willing to say, look, until things are stabilized elsewhere around the world and in the economy, I don't think it would be responsible to have a, a reduced taxation. So for everybody else to be saying, yes, I'll reduce taxes so that they can win over voters, I think is 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 pretty, uh, pretty wrong. But uh, I understand why they're doing it. And, you know, I thought Sunak was going to win it, but his voter base popularity is not very high not next to Morden. So I think it's going to be a very interesting next couple of weeks to see who the other final two are and then what happens on September 5th. But thank you very much for having me. Uh, thank you, Piotr. And that does raise a couple of points. Cost of living is obviously related to the relative weakness of the British economy, as Piotr says, the weakest of the G7, the weakest, the lowest amount of growth in the G20. That's how bad Britain um, has actually been uh, po- post-Brexit. And, and then with our, our lack of relative recovery from COVID. And I think it's somewhat marked that the candidates haven't really talked about cost of living, which I said is obviously related to, to our economic performance. But this is what Petty Morden did say. I know from my background, it is incredibly difficult if you can't afford a bus fare, if you don't have a washing machine, if the services you are interacting with are incredibly complicated. Okay. We have to simplify this for people and we have to be more responsive. It's not its not your fault, Rishi. There's lots of things that need to be sorted at the Treasury. Thank but the fact that your you. energy package did not take into account people okay. in HMOs okay. is an example of that. There, there's been a package from the UK government to give people one enough payments to help with uh, to defer energy costs uh, which are going to be which are spiraling now but are going to skyrocket in this autumn and that's what penny uh, morden was talking about tanya uh, welcome to the stage you're you're always uh, a breath of fresh air when you, when you come on to mid-atlantic what is your point sir hi Rayfield. thanks very much and very yeah very nice to hear your tete-a-tete with paul I, I couldn't agree more with Piotr. Cost of living, big elephant in the room. I watched the back end of the uh, debate uh, yesterday, and if I'm honest, you know, I, there is no support for me from for from any of these guys. I could go on a sort of individual profiling all of them and just tell you my reasons for not liking them, but I'll probably just bore you <laughs> and oh, you well, remove. I'll you. tell you what, then, Tanya. Tell us which one dislike least dislike least it's tough and i i'm having to bring myself to this to say this it's probably sunak although i my sort of reservations with sunak is you know whilst piotr is right about him having the confidence to say you know we can't raise the, the sort of the, we can't use conventional taxes and, and we can't uh, use a conventional fiscal policy that we've had he was in a boris johnson government and he was responsible for things like you know covid fraud that led to about 30 billion pounds off of the government coffers in in a in a very very difficult time he's Isn't also that a bit harsh though tanya because I, i'm not saying that that fraud didn't happen we're in a once in a hundred year crisis the one way of propping up the economy keeping the country ticking keeping people liquid was to throw lots of money at it and if you're gonna react so quickly of course some unscrupulous people on the margins are going to, you know, going to be unscrupulous and, and make benefit out of that. But fundamentally, economic catastrophe was averted. Isn't it harsh that we're having a go at Sunak about some some malfeasance done by dodgy characters on the edge of a national pandemic? Fair points. Although I don't think it's harsh, given again the sort of circumstances of the pandemic, I think many other governments had to go through the same. I think you know many other governments had to you know find several ways, innovative ways to keep their economy 
alive and they did which you know uh, i'd expect us to be able to do here as well i'd expect us given circumstances of of the pandemic plus Brexit and, and, the, and the economic fallout from sort of both of them. I'd expect us to be as, as responsible as possible. I'd expect us to to be able to at least, you know, if, if some money was lost, I think 30 billion is not is not a small piece of money. I mean, let's look at the public sector and, and sort of, you know, everybody going on strike, postmen, rail workers, criminal barristers, you know, firemen, bus drivers, everyone in the public sector is, is, up, is, is ridiculously struggling. That that money would have done a lot to them, and would have and would have relieved a lot of pressure that people are facing from the cost of living crisis. So, I mean, if you're a responsible manager of of things, you know, going on, you know, w- when you have a crisis like that, you know, your first instinct is worse. Well, of course, yes, let's put money in it because that's that 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 is the, that's the solution. But but you have to put money responsibly. I think that's also one of the things I have been frustrated about in sort of successive. UK, you know, Tory government in that, you know, they have not used all of the ammunition within them. I mean, this is also to sort of going to sort of to, to the Brexit conversation when we were in the EU. There were things that we could do within the EU, which they never actually used. Um, and Sonia, when disaster... Sonia, sorry, uh, I, I'm just going to just quickly jump in. Yeah. Because I think, I think Paul and I arrived at a really interesting conclusion in our tete-a-tete, as you described it that uh, when Brexit is no longer a living and beating issue in British politics, that Paul says, you know, basically the Tory party is toast, right? That is the one issue which they are beating a drum about and is actually putting some level of energy into, into their politics. It's not as if politicians are talking about Brexit in, in every other breath, but the alignment in the Conservative Party is very much still a Brexit one. And Paul described the runners and riders as to whether they were Brexiteers or Remainers, etc. Liz Truss used to be a Remainer, then she switched over, etc. So that is still very much a live, live issue. When it's over, what future for the Conservative Party? What says you, sir? And then we'll come on to David Will. With the sort of leadership they have right now, and I, 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 this is one one place where I agree with Paul. There seems to be no future for them with with Brexit gone off the table. The, the problem is Brexit will not go off the table because it, it affects every single aspect of our lives. Yeah, they they've got they've got no visionary leadership. They've got no leadership that that wants to sort of you know sort of a Tony Blair esque. And I know his name is not very liked in many spaces, but not nothing that shows what kind of a country they want Britain to be. What kind of a, you know people talk about they want it to be liberal, open, seafaring, you know, doing trade deals across the world. But there is no pragmatic realism. Um, and for me, in my view, there's no truth behind that. It's not those those statements are not are not fostered in an environment of pragmatic truth, uh, and those things are not realistic. You know, if, if you look at sort of the, the I don't know, we did a fantastic trade deal with Rwanda last year. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's going to keep British industry going for the next two decades, Sonia. <laughs> So there you go. You had a, a very personal insight from Paul Dudridge, who's a, a, a strident conservative voice in, in the UK and also in the US because his new home is now at Los Angeles, about the various runners and riders. As we are recording this, it is a, a 6.15 on Monday and Tom Tugendhat is almost definitely going to be the conservative MP who's going to bow out. So we still have a little way to go before we get down to our last two, who then will have to do the constituencies, the length and breadth 
of the country and uh, and dare I say do the beauty contest to see who's going to become the next conservative leader which ergo means the next prime minister. So, Paul Dudridge thank you for coming on to the show you are our, our right wing friends so we'd like to thank you for your insights. Where can people catch you if they want to follow you follow your work so tell us the name of your podcast etc. I can't imagine anybody ever wants to listen to it not from your crowd but it's, it's called The Politics People it's available on all good and some lousy podcast platforms The Politics People where I interview Anybody who's involved in politics but isn't necessarily an elected politician. So lots of pundits, activists, obviously that comedians, etc. But anybody like people like Billy Bragg, we had on, and Brendan Struck, Brandon Struck, who the, the Walk Away movement. So I've had BLM people on, but people that aren't involved who aren't necessarily elected politicians, but they are involved in politics. So. The politics people, all good bookshops. I don't know why you think that listeners of this podcast wouldn't be interested in that. And I must admit, yesterday I was listening to a fantastic interview did with Peter Thatcher, a great gay rights activist in the UK who who has been at the forefront of gay rights since since the nineteen eighties. So it, it, it's a great podcast. Please give it a listen. Don't forget, folks. We say this every time: left of politics is right thinking politics. But what we don't do is we don't demonise our right-leaning brothers and sisters. What we try and do is win them over with the strength of our argument. What is important for every democracy is the commons, the common space, where people of opposing views can converse, can talk, can agree to disagree, but then also walk away knowing that the other has been sincere in, in their beliefs and, and doesn't think any the less for them. So as long as that person is not racist, not sexist, etc., we, we see them as being a valued and contributor to the common space. That's what Mid-Atlantic is, is all about. We try and foster that. My name has been Roy Phil Brown. If you want to send me an email, quite simply, you can do that by sending it to R-O-I-F-I-E-L-D at gmail.com. So Royfield at gmail.com. And let me know what you think of the show or if there's any topics which you think we should cover. We did the, uh, the death of African migrants last week in Melilla in, in northern Spain. And it was really great to get the feedback that we did from people so people who said that that was a great show um, we will do more about migrants and humanitarian crisis throughout the world as well as obviously our core two competencies which is US and UK politics I've been Royal Brown take care look after yourself bye bye Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.